Hey, everybody. On this episode, we'll talk to Justin Hammerling, the president of Capios Health. They're a technology company focused on bringing innovative patient care solutions to market. Justin is interviewed today by OST's CIO and resident healthcare expert, Jim Vandermeer. Enjoy. So I want to welcome Vice President of Innovation of Prometica uh, and the President of Capios, uh, Justin Hammerling. So good morning, Justin. Good morning, Jim. Nice to be here. This is a great, great place you guys got here. Well, thank you. I just uh, recently concluded the tour of OST with Justin, and so we're we've been working with uh, Capios for a while, and as uh, you were here today, I thought it'd be a great opportunity for us to record a podcast together because Capios is doing some things that are really, really interesting to me in the area of innovation. So, but uh, why don't you tell me Capios? Who is it and what do you do? Yeah, so great. Uh, Capios, we're a, um, a commercialization engine basically for healthcare innovations institutes or departments that not only develops uh, software for the healthcare system, but then also has the sales and marketing team to be able to take those out in the marketplace. So we've been able to successfully commercialize two different pieces of software for Prometica Innovations and another one for MedStar Health. So Prometica is a pretty significant healthcare system in the Toledo area. Correct, yeah. And so tell me a little bit about Prometica. So Prometica, we uh, were a regional health, were a regional healthcare system. Now we're a national one. We started in Toledo, Ohio, and Northwestern Ohio, and have uh, hospital facilities in both Northwest Ohio and Southeastern Michigan. But recently, we just merged and acquired HCR Manor Care in the the senior living space. So we are now in 30 states. And from a stroke of a pen, we grew from an organization with about 17,000 employees to an organization just under 60,000 employees. And, and I think that's one of the, the pieces that is so interesting to me with Prometica is the choice to expand into senior care mm-hmm. was, could be an entirely another conversation. But Prometica is a very entrepreneurial healthcare system. Mm-hmm. Why a tech startup company in that? Because we saw the, the opportunity in the, the industry. When I started with Prometica, I say unofficially six years ago, for the, because for the first three years, I was actually with Cleveland Clinic Innovations. And as a part of Cleveland Clinic Innovations, we had this global healthcare innovation alliance that Prometica was a member of that Cleveland Clinic uh, led. And there was about seven or eight other healthcare systems in the alliance. And the intent was for us to all be able to idea share vet the ideas collaboratively, and if there's synergies, work on joint projects together to get them out of the marketplace. It's a great idea, and for medical devices, that process is fairly straightforward. You get a patent, you do some prototyping, you do bench testing, maybe animal trials, you go to your first in man somewhere, you get enough data for an FDA, you raise some money, and you go out into the market and start selling and grow and be acquired. Not every company or idea goes that way. There's always failures, but that's the process, you know, to success. With software, there's no vehicle into the, the the marketplace. Like you're not, you know, the intent really can't be to be sold to Epic. You know, right. Epic's going to build their own type of thing, or you know, McKesson, the big guys. They're not really big acquirers of new technology. They might implement some of it, or they might reproduce it. But they're not the strategic target like trying to sell a medical device like to Simmons or Stryker or something like that. So 
we were asking the question was like, well, who do we license these technologies to? Who's going to buy the service, you know, buy the software, help us commercialize this to other healthcare systems? If we build this app as ProMedica and I sell it to the University of Michigan or something like that, and it goes down or there's, you know, normal maintenance issues, Michigan IT isn't going to call up ProMedica's IT help desk to get, get the problem solved. We don't want that liability. We don't want that burden. And who's selling it at the University of Michigan? Is it ProMedica selling to a potential competitor? Is it uh, ProMedica branding it, these solutions, and putting them out of the marketplace? Who's developing them? Because as we go ahead and prototype these ideas, a prototype is never what the end product is. So who's maintaining them? Who's building the new features? There was this big void in the industry. So we knew from our experience, we were hitting it. We asked some of our colleagues if they were experiencing the same problems they were. And so we created Capios to fill that void in the market. And I think that's one of the most interesting parts about the Capios story is that we see in system after system a desire to be innovative. Mm -hmm. And innovation is viewed as an an attribute to attract the best talent to the medical system Mm -hmm. because they want to be able to take good ideas to commercialization. But in uh, to actually start a tech company and then think about the sales effort, the go-to-market effort, what what was in your background that made you the right choice to lead this in Uh, Capios? I was the one that was really passionate about it. I think everyone understood the need, but when I would when I would break it down to them the same way I just did where okay well who's gonna maintain it? Yeah, we can build an app, but who's going to sell it? Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Who, who's taking in the revenue? Who's doing the financial metrics to, to say, okay, did did this system actually pay us on time? And did we get the money in? Do we, what do we have to do there? Because our finance department doesn't want to take it on because we're, we're billing. Their billing is CPT codes and mm-hmm. med practice and everything like that. They're not a, a collection agency for other companies. So that's where I really... Uh, use the benefit of my inexperience, I guess, in the healthcare industry where I wasn't <laughs> pigeonholed into one particular area where I, I just kind of raised my hand and said, yeah, let's do it. I'll, I'll take it on. And, you know, I'll learn just as we're going. I promise I won't make the same mistake twice. And they said, great, let's do it. That's a really great story. And what has been hard? Um, I think... When you get into healthcare, especially trying to sell into larger systems, everyone's aware of the pitfalls of a startup where there's, they like the technology, but you're still going to be around in two years. You know, if I, if I put your compliance platform in my, my lab, what guarantees do I have that you're actually going to be around in a year to be to be here for right. the audit if there's something going on because I can't put my entire lab onto your software if you don't have a defined future. And so it was that chicken versus the egg. It was like, well, if you sign this contract, I can go get investors that says, oh, this hospital system's paying me for it. They love it. I can go sell some more of it. I just need a million dollars or $2 million to keep the team together as we go sell it. But I can't get that big system to sign the contract if I don't have the money and I can't get your money until I get the contract. So learning from that and going in and having the right dev team, having the right marketing team and a sales team that understands the current conundrum that the people that they're talking to are facing, not only from the healthcare industry side, but also from we're a startup, 
you don't know who I am on the other side of the phone. How do you build that trust and get them in there to be able to see not only the value in the software, which is apparent after the first demo, but that we're a company that you can trust to be around and you can go to bat to your supervisor for when you go ask for a PO or you're going through this process with legal that it's worth the risk. So what's the value in thinking about the fact that you are part of a larger healthcare delivery organization? Mm -hmm. You've got this startup brand of Capios, but you've got the enterprise brand of Prometica right there. Yep. What's the value of those two things together? It's the 700-pound gorilla that I get to point out in the corner where, yeah, we're a startup, and you know, yes, if you were to look at our financials, we're, we're going after an investment, but that $7 billion company owns 100% of me. You really think they're going to let this thing go out of business? right now and they're using the software in exactly their they're laboratory exactly they're using the software in their labs they're using their software in their rev cycle spot so they're they've, they're incentivizing both ways to not see this go anywhere but be successful and so that always that's been giving a lot of reassurances to these larger systems it says yeah you might not know us as capios or we've been around for two years prometic has been around for 30 plus and we're we're here to stay so being able to leverage the enterprise strength, mm -hmm. first customer advantage, yep. the, the access to um, business knowledge and talent, and then being able to be a small, capable development team that has mm -hmm. a digital native behaviors of sales, business model development, development, partnering. Yep. And so you're taking both uh, the exploitation the new of the new as well as the management of the old at the mm -hmm. same time absolutely it's a great combination it really is especially when you get the the right people on both sides of it so we uh, as prometica we have subject matter experts in literally every aspect of medicine we have every service available to us from cradle to grave and everything in between as a healthcare deliveries organization so there's not anyone in the organization that we can't go talk to to get an answer to a problem that we might be experiencing. And they're also in a mindset of they're operators. You know, so even if you're a surgeon, you're still an operator in terms of I'm going to be doing this, and if this goes wrong, I need to do something else. But they're not seeing us as a threat to the way they operate. We're, we're going, and it's like, okay. I'm not trying to be the next best supply chain person or the next best rev cycle person because I'm jockeying to be the VP of rev cycle or I want to be the lab director. I want to give you your weekends back from a compliance standpoint so you don't have to do paperwork anymore because market research tells me that there's 20 plus thousand of you just in the tri-state area who would pay me if they have a solution to get if those they have weekends, their weekends back. back. If they, exactly. And so like that, that's so I think that helps uh, lower the guard a little bit from a lot of people because, you know, healthcare, it's a tough industry. I mm -hmm. mean, you, it's, you, when you're in healthcare, you're, you're a veteran after like a month just because you're, you go through a lot. And there's a natural defense, I think, a little bit because you don't want to seem like you're 
if I'm the VP of something or I'm the managing director of a department, I don't want to seem like I'm not the subject matter expert for everything I'm going in. And if someone comes into my office and says, hey, you have a problem and I'm going to fix it for you, they're like, no, I don't have a problem. I'm the best managing director of you know labs that's ever walked the earth. And I'll uh, muscle through it. And I'll muscle through it. And, and no one, you know, so I don't want to talk to you. Well, okay, well, did you know that if you submit an idea for how to improve these problems with our innovation program at Prometica, you get a percentage of the revenue? Your department can benefit from this? Oh, I didn't know that. So, so you just linked the operations mindset of the mm -hmm. enterprise to the innovation capability mm -hmm. of, the of the enterprise mm -hmm. to an innovation hub mm -hmm. that can then bring those ideas to both internal exploitation and external market. Correct. Now, it's not in Prometica's DNA to be a, a tech development company. No. So, so we're talking today because um, OST and Capios has been working together. So, how mm -hmm. have why why have you sought external partnership? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think anyone in the healthcare, if you ever owned a house, you you've probably done some creative rewiring that might not always pass electrical code, but you know how it works. Yep. <laughs> um, and so, so you, you kind of know where, where, where to go and you know, how it's going because you had a weekend where you're like, you know what, I should have done this electrical outlet this way, but I had 30 minutes, I just plugged an electrical cord into it and ran it. Well, I would say IT, healthcare IT and any IT departments kind of like that a little bit where there might be some homegrown spun in solutions to, to make things work for that industry, but they, they couldn't go outside of that building. And that is one of those things that we bring to the table is we're not, when we look at building these tools, we know it's not gonna be for, just for Prometica, that someone else is going to use it in a slightly different way. So we can't hodgepodge the back end. We can't kind of finagle the wiring like we could in our own house yeah. to make it work. We need to have something that is going to be sold. They're going to have a building inspector. They're going to have someone running a third-party test on this that passes muster. And with that mindset, there's no real corners to cut on certain things like you can if it's just going to be your own private thing. And so the ability to take something that was now, as we go from that concept to idea to ideation to external market to now a product that can be sold and supported across multiple customers. Mm -hmm. that's, that's what you're responsible for. Now you used a house analogy mm -hmm. and um, your training <laughs> is not in IT. No, I, I have an architecture, I have two degrees in architecture, but not software architecture, actual right. building architecture. And, and so I'm a, my, my background is in enterprise architecture from an IT standpoint. <laughs> so we use a lot of the same words. Yeah. But um, conceptually, when you and I were f first talking, I realized that, that you were approaching the problems from the same space I was mm -hmm. but, and using the, the tools of architecture. But one of the things that, that, that I was so fascinated by was your definition of sustainability. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I had the, the benefit of uh, getting my architecture degree from the University of Colorado. And they're obviously very environmentally focused out there. I think it's the number two environmental design program in the U.S., and so we had a, everything had to be environmentally friendly as we're going through it. In one definition of sustainability that was told to me that stuck with me, and I love it, 
uh, comes more from the Aboriginal side of Australia, where it's the seventh generation mentality of true sustainability is the ability for the current generation to meet its needs without Im- impacting the future generations to meet their needs. Mm. So not doing something now that is going to make my life maybe easier now, but it's going to make the next generations harder. I can't do it. That's not sustainable, even in the short term, because, yeah, I might be able to cut this down, this tree for shelter or a fire right now because I'm cold. But if I cut this tree down now, that means for the next generation isn't getting fruit from it or they're not going to be able to do something that they might need to be able to do with it. And so it forces you to really take a step back and understand what are the long term implications of actions beyond just the short term. So. We can clearly understand that when we talk about trees and environments, but what about in the digital ecosystem? Yeah. What is sustainability and that long-term thinking? How does that work? I think for us, you know, for me at least, you know, on that same house analogy, it's it's doing it the right the first time because if you've ever renovated a house or, you know, you only have opportunity to put wiring in behind a wall a handful of times without having to tear the whole wall apart. So when you have the opportunity to build in what you need, do it then. It might be a little bit more expensive. It might take a little bit more time. But if going back and doing the work you could do now is going to cost you more than 10x what it's going to cost to do now, just do it now. You know, it's, it's, it's the right thing to do. You know at one point you're going to need something like this. And you know at that point happens, you're going to be tearing something out. And you're, you know, if you use the wall analogy and continue it out, you might have something on the wall there. You might, you might have to do a lot more prep work to be able to get in to put in the right infrastructure behind this wall after it's built than it's going to take to do beforehand or yes. even in the short term. And so those are the things that when you think of it from a digital side, yes, you can build solutions very quickly that meet the very tight definition of what you're defined on to build. But are you building it in such a way that it can be reusable? Are you building it in such a way that if you need to make a change, you're not, re, you're not tearing everything apart and doing it again? I think that the impermanence of digital assets mm-hmm. lends people to think that everything is flexible. Everything can be redone yeah. at low cost. But that's not true. No, it's not. And uh, we, you know, we talk about technical debt in in the architecture community within IT, and and the analogy I like to use is that if you build up too much debt in your personal financial mm-hmm. um, world, you end up declaring bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. And likewise, if you build up too much technical debt, you end up at some point, not just having to pull the wall out, you end up having to raise the building because yeah. it's, it is fundamentally unstable. Absolutely. And, and that's a place where I've appreciated working with you is that you're, you are absolutely looking at how we exploit the next near-term opportunity, mm-hmm. but you want to do so in a way that's consistent with where you want to be in two to three years with your product roadmap. Oh, yeah. And you know, if you, you look at that analogy you were saying, like, it might get to the point where you have to raise the building in order to actually put in the right infrastructure. In any industry, when you're looking, when you're at that point where, okay, we got to tear this thing down to the studs or get rid of it all from an IT standpoint, we're going to build something new. Rarely are you ever actually going to build anything new. You're just going to buy the thing that's already built. 
Yes. And so that is a perfect area for disruption. If you uh, are in an industry like healthcare is, where a lot of the digital infrastructure is very old for the majority. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, some healthcare systems have been very good with it and we have, but a lot of IT is typically, you know, we still have Windows XP. We still have Windows 98 in some instances. It's, It's running. It's not broken that bad, so we're not going to fix it. Well, it's going to get to the point where you're not going to fix anything. You're just going to buy something brand new. Mm-hmm. And if you can be that solutions provider, like, hey, I've got the new thing. I can get this thing up and running fast for you. There's a great opportunity from the digital solutions standpoint to be in this space. And so you've had to actually then work your economic models to be a SaaS provider mm-hmm. on a monthly subscription basis. Yep. And so from a business model standpoint, you've had to be innovative as well, not just yeah. in the product standpoint. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Uh, I think anyone that would is listening that's been in the healthcare space, getting a PO isn't always the easiest thing, or, or particularly getting a contract signed through a healthcare institute is uh, not always the easiest thing. So being flexible on the business model and saying, well, as we sell this into a healthcare system at a certain price point you're going in at for capital you know you 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 can't opex hundred thousands of dollars you know for software it's finance is going to come in and say no this is the capital threshold for something like this and this is what the meetings are for that takes the timeline the sales cycle from a six month sales cycle to an 18 plus month sales cycle that's not something you can really want to do as a startup is right. be hanging out and you know burning cash for a year and a half and competing with every other capital project in the healthcare system. Exactly. And you don't want to be the reason that you know someone's not buying an MRI machine. Yeah. And so being able to go and say no, we can tweak the model the to get in and be a SaaS model for you month to month and now managing director, we're under your monthly spend threshold. And especially in these solutions where you can show ROI pretty fast. No one's going to get mad at you for saving the system money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so so what advice would you have to either innovation teams in large healthcare enterprises or to healthcare enterprises that want to start up an innovation team? I think treat every project like it's startup. And what I mean by that is you're going to be way more capital efficient. I would, you know, when we started it, we wanted millions of dollars to, to do this. We got half a million and we were able to do it. And, but it forces you to focus on what's important. And besides the capital constraint, you also have to know from a healthcare system side that those constraints are put on there to prevent the impact of errors because you know errors are going to happen. You know that the, there's going to be pivots, there's going to be potential you know, product launch failures or the sales strategy you're presented the first time isn't going to be the, the final sales strategy. And knowing that is going to happen and building capital runway behind the initial commitment to say, okay, you didn't hit the sales targets. We kept you on a tight leash. What did you learn? Because you got more money coming, but we're not going to put it into the same mistakes. We're not going to, you're not going to be given this long stretch of rope to go hang yourself with. We're going to give you a foot of rope. Show me the best knot you can make and I'll give you a longer piece. So that's um, something that I have rarely seen in healthcare innovation teams is A, that that uh, 
disciplined to view these as investments mm-hmm. and taking those lessons learned, but also the willingness to impose constraints because oftentimes the organizations that are large enough to have innovation teams also have a huge amount of resources. Yeah. They're large healthcare systems, oftentimes the largest employer in their city, and they have a lot of resource, and so they don't put the constraints in place to, to yeah. learn quickly. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it's it's one of those things where the only way you're going to get experience is through failure. You know, is is you don't you don't near, learn near as much in success as you do in failure. But yet they don't put the safeguards in place to minimize the impact of failure or they view failure as one of those things, well, well you don't know what you're doing, so why am I going to put any more money into it? Well, no, that's we know what we're doing, but everything's going to hit a roadblock a, f- a failure is only we're not going to do the project anymore a failure isn't well the marketing strategy we thought was going to work didn't work as long as you contain those and minimize the impact of failure to the operation i think that's the key thing so if you're going to fail on a marketing thing fail to two hospitals you know fail fail in a very select market and have very realistic milestones and definitions of success and then say okay now, if you give me a hundred thousand, this is what I can do. Don't give me a hundred thousand dollars and then watch it go away, and then then wonder what happened to it. Be regimented and have good milestones, but know that not every early project is going to be what it looks like at the beginning at the end, and that change is not failure. Failure is it doesn't work, or we're just giving up on it. That's, I think, a good place for us to wrap up. Uh, Justin, thank you very, very much for your insights. Um, I love the conversation around innovation and healthcare and the ability to take uh, an organization like ProMedica, innovate within, and then bring something to market. Really great job. Oh, um, thank you. You're going to be congratulated for your success. And I, I would love to take all the credit for it, but uh, I can't. Uh, we have an amazing team, and it's led by my boss, and he hates it when I call him my boss, but he really is because he's, he's a great guy. It's Dr. John Piggott, our chief innovations officer. Dr. Piggott um, is really the reason why we've learned everything we have because he's learned those lessons. He's had medical device startups. He's an accomplished vascular surgeon, so he understands the need to be flexible and the, the need for discipline. And that has really permeated our innovations team and allowed us to do a lot of things that a, a team of our size wouldn't normally be able to do. Okay. Well, congratulations. Well, thank, thank you. OST, changing how the world connects together. For more information, go to ostusa.com slash podcast.